It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News Podcasts presents the Brett Bear Podcast with Fox News Chief Political Anchor Brett Bear. Mr. Prime Minister, thanks for the time. My pleasure, always. You know, we just got back from Riyadh. I know you heard those words from the Saudi Crown Prince. What was your response? Well, I was delighted to hear what he had to say and to, to borrow a phrase. I think we're getting closer to peace every day that passes. You talked about it today in your UN speech. You talked pretty optimistically about it. But I believe that we are at the cusp of an even more dramatic breakthrough, an historic peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Yes, I did, and that's not to minimize the, uh, the hurdles before us, but I, I think when you have three leaders and three countries that avidly want a result, uh, the United States under President Biden, Saudi Arabia under the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, and Israel under my, uh, my premiership, uh, I think that that really raises the possibility that we'll succeed. Here are the specific words he said. So you think if you were to characterize it, are you close? Every day we get closer. It seems it's for the first time a uh, real one, serious. We're going to see how it goes. For us, the Palestinian issue is very important. We need to solve that part. How do you solve that part? Are you willing to give concessions when it comes to the Palestinians specifically? I think the Palestinians should be part of the process, but I don't think the Palestinians should have a veto over the process. And the reason we didn't have for a quarter century any new peace treaties after we made peace with Egypt and uh, Jordan, we didn't have for 25 years a single new peace treaty because everybody said, first, you have to satisfy whatever the demands of the Palestinians are. You know, you've got to conclude a peace treaty with the Palestinians. Well, there's only one problem with that. The Palestinians don't want a peace with Israel. They want a peace instead of Israel. They don't want a state next to Israel. They want a state instead of Israel. So that wasn't going to get us anywhere. In fact, the reason we got to the Abraham Accords is because we finally went around the Palestinian veto and went directly to the Arab capitals. And I think it would be a grievous mistake to accept a Palestinian veto. They should be part of the process. They can benefit a great deal from the process. I'm willing to consider ways that they could benefit from the process without ever sacrificing our security or our national interest. But I think they can be part of the process, but not have a veto power over the process. When I said that about four times, so <laughs> I think I got my point across. Right. When you met with President Biden, did he specifically ask you to make concessions to the Palestinians? Well, when we it talked about it. We talked about, not concessions, we talked about, we talked about this part of the, uh, the possible uh, agreement that we would have, as well as other things. We but talked at, at great length. about preserving the opportunity for a two-state solution, or pledging to cut back on settlements, or pledging not to annex the West Bank. Those things specifically did he ask of you? Well, I'm not going to get into the particulars of the discussion, but he did say, uh, if I can make a general thing, that he'd wanted to keep the option, the political option of two states open. He didn't, I, I wouldn't go beyond that in detailing what uh, we talked about. Because it's in the part of the negotiations right now. But 
You have a coalition, it's the first in eight decades, that in the party platform, essentially, it calls for annexing the West Bank. Different words, but that's essentially what it says. So will you say that that's not going to happen to, be, to make this deal work? I will, first of all, not do anything that jeopardizes Israel's security, but I also will do um, what I think is necessary to advance peace, which also serves in the long run Israel's security as well. And I think there is a balancing act. Uh, the coalition is not the issue. The issue is what I believe uh, are the important things for Israel's future. And uh, not all my coalition partners have exactly the same view, but ultimately they join uh, they joined the Likud. The Likud didn't join them. And I think when, you know, when uh, push comes to shove and we have a historic agreement that changes the Middle East, by the way, I think it changes the world, uh, then I think, uh, I think everybody will be on board. That you might. think they'll come on board? But yeah, they, they've come on board on quite a few things. Uh, they, you know, that ultimately, uh, there's a mainstream decision, a policy direction that uh, my government, under my uh, leadership decides, and uh, I think they're uh, responsible enough uh, to, to go along, and I think they will on this issue, too. And so the Religious Zionism Party uh, said they were making clear that any normalization that includes compromises to the Palestinians or a possibility of a Palestinian state, they would block. I mean, they're being very vocal about it. Well, I'm not going to get into the uh, internal discussions that we have, either with the White House or with my coalition partners. You remember Woodrow Wilson, the great American president after World War I? He was in the Versailles Peace Conference, and he declared, I believe in open covenants openly arrived at. Well, I have a slight change to that. I believe in open covenants secretly arrived at. And so I won't get into the uh, machinations of either, uh, you know, coalition politics or, for that matter, international negotiations, but I think, I think it's doable. I think we can get there. It's going to be complex, but you think, you feel a, a real com, uh, confidence that it's going to happen. I feel a mission, Brett. You know, I, I had to go a long way, and I had these arguments with coalition partners and with the political adversaries and the so-called uh, international experts, and for, for many years I argued we can get these four peace treaties if we go around the Palestinian veto. Nobody believed me, and finally we did it, and it worked. And today I'm telling you, we can get to, we can overcome these hurdles and these obstacles, and we can get to a, a, a pivot of history, another enormous breakthrough, a Saudi-Israeli peace that not only changes the Middle East, creates a new Middle East of peace and prosperity, but also creates a corridor from Asia to, uh, to uh, Europe, India, UAE, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Israel, and from there our Mediterranean ports to uh, all of Europe. It's an amazing transformation. Yeah, that rail and ports deal announced at the G20, right. I mean, that, you see that as really significant? I think it's part of the, uh, the possibility. It's also fiber optic cables and energy pipelines that uh, traverse the Arabian Peninsula, go through Israel, service Europe. I, I think these are realistic things. Uh, but the possibilities are real, and it also, you know, it changes the relationship between Judaism and Islam, between the, the holy seat of Judaism, Jerusalem, the holy seat of Islam, Mecca, and that radiates to a billion and more Muslims. Um, that's, that's a historic shift, and I think it's worth investing in. Am I confident? I, I believe there's a greater chance that we'll achieve it, but I will say this. I think that we have a window of opportunity. 
It's the next few months. If we don't achieve it in the next few months, we might delay it by quite a few years. We'll probably in the end achieve it because it makes sense. But, but I think if we want to, uh, to seize the opportunity, this historic opportunity, we have to do it in the coming months. We'll continue right after this. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. What's your sense of the 38-year-old Saudi leader, Mohammed bin Salman? I think he's shown to be quite a visionary, both in the transformation of uh, his own country and the... uh, the uh, uh, larger picture that uh, we share uh, for transforming the Middle East. I think that's, that's visionary leadership. What other kind of leadership is useful? Nothing. If you just come in there to sit and change nothing and do nothing to improve the conditions of your people, uh, your region and the world, uh, go do something else. Al Arabiya took your speech today. Isn't that, that's pretty significant. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine uh, a speech of an Israeli leader, uh, you know, being broadcast live in Saudi Arabia? Now that tells you something. Another thing the Crown Prince said is this. If they get one, will you? If they get one, we have to get one for security reasons and for balancing power. What do you think about that? I think they shouldn't get one. I think Iran should be prevented in every possible manner from getting nuclear weapons. I've devoted a Uh, the bulk of my public service as prime minister to prevent that from happening and we delayed it by quite a few years but the jury is still out we have to do everything we can and the most important thing that we can do aside from crippling sanctions against Iran snapping back the sanctions if Iran violated as it has the uh, its commitments is to have a credible military threat against Iran and uh, so I don't think they should get it And if they don't get it, we also will not be in this conundrum of other countries wanting to get nuclear capability, nuclear weapons capability. You're facing a lot of protests, a lot of pushback in your own country about this judicial reform effort. Um, Will you abide by what happens in the Supreme Court, this case going forward, whatever comes out of the Israeli Supreme Court on this? We've always abided by the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court always abided by the law, the basic laws that the Knesset, our parliament, uh, legislates. And uh, I think that's what we should, uh, and this dual commitment should be kept. But you don't have a constitution, but explaining it to Americans, that it is a checks and balances, but isn't the Supreme Court that check and balance? If no. you control the executive and the legislative? No. Uh, in, in all democracies, you have a balance between the will of the majority as reflected in the, uh, in the uh, legislature and the executive, and uh, protecting minority or individual rights, so, uh, which is supposedly the province of the court. In Israel, that balance has been changed over the last 25 years, and the court arrogated systematically all the, uh, the powers of the, or most of the powers of the executive and the legislative. What we're trying to do is bring it back somewhat to a balance that is common in America and all the other Western democracies. But there are uh, people who see this as a big shift. You, you say somewhat, and you described it as a small shift, but you have 40 weeks of hundreds of thousands of people taking to the streets to protest this. Um, you had your attorney general refuse to defend this in court 
and you hired outside counsel to do it. So it is splitting your country apart, isn't it, as far as well, this, this issue? It's got two parts. Parts of the protest are overtly political, uh, and they only want to bring the government down, and they say so. So they don't care about the judicial reform. They just want to use any pretext to try to bring the government down. The other part is concerned, and I think they're mistaken because they think we want to take it to a place we don't want to take it. The real issue right now before us is how do we select Supreme Court judges, okay? In Israel, in America, and in most democracies, the elected officials, the politicians, choose the judges in one system or another, okay? In Israel, the protesters think that that would be the end of democracy. What is common in all democracies, that you balance the power of the Supreme Court by choosing the judges they say in Israel the politicians should not really be, be doing this. And this is one of the things, this is the thing we were focused on, if you want to know. It's not the end of democracy, because if it is, then we don't have any democracies anywhere on earth. So there's a lot of distorted discussion. Uh, I'm looking now, and I've been looking now for nine months, to find uh, a consensus, if I could, with some of the opposition, or all of it, the political opposition in the, in the Knesset, and if not, to find something that uh, appeals to the broadest possible segment of the public. Uh, and, I, and I think we'll get there. And when the dust settles, I guarantee you, and it will settle, you'll see that uh, Israel was a democracy, is a democracy, and will actually be even a stronger democracy, more similar to other democracies in the world. Last thing on this, your outside counsel was asked by the Supreme Court, what happens if um, Israel, the government passes a law saying that there won't be an election for 10 years. That's and I know. And then he answered, well, it would be solved by another election. In other words, there are real questions about that checks and balances from the outside looking at it. And I'm sure President Biden expressed that in your meeting as well. No, we, we discussed, uh, he asked me to describe what we're doing, but uh, we didn't get uh, well beyond that because we've had opportunities, other opportunities to discuss it over the phone. I can tell you this, uh, what if the Supreme Court decides there are no elections for 10 years? It doesn't work that way. I mean, you can take it to ad absurdum to all these things, but the way it works, Israel hasn't had, the, the, the Knesset never decided that in our 75 years, and I guarantee you it will never decide that in the future. There are checks and balances. Right now in Israel, uh, the Supreme Court has no checks and no balances. We have to restore some of it but we have to do it carefully and responsibly, and that's what I'm doing. And you think you can f come to some concession, some conclusion? Cons con consensus? I'm seeking it, certainly. Uh, I, hope, I hope to achieve it. Uh, but I, uh, uh, I won't tell you it's easy, but being the Prime Minister of Israel has got to be the easiest job in the world. <laughs> I don't think so. Were you surprised that Saudi Arabia normalized relations with Iran before they normalized relations with you? Well, first of all, you have to understand that there's been normalization before the uh, before the Abraham Accords, and there is normalization. For example, in 2018, uh, two years before we signed the Abraham Accords, uh, Saudi Arabia opened its airspace to Israelis who could now fly over the Arabian Peninsula to destinations in the, the Gulf, uh, in, uh, uh, in Asia, uh, India, Australia, and so on. Uh, that, was, that didn't happen accidentally. And I don't think the Abraham Accords would have happened without uh, tacit uh, Saudi support and approval. Uh, so we've had some preliminary indications, shall I say that, that we have uh, that we're moving to normalization. As far as the um, as far as the uh, Saudi 
uh, approach to Iran. Uh, I'm sure if you spend some more time with the, the Saudi leadership, uh, they'll tell you that they welcome peaceful uh, relations with everyone, but I'm not sure that they have changed their view about Iran's intentions or its innate aggression. Do you think solving the Yemen problem is a big part of all of this as well? Uh, it helps. It helps. But I think the larger question is Iran's uh, ideological impetus to conquer the Middle East, destroy Israel. They chant death to Israel and they chant death to America. They want to build uh, ICBMs that can carry nuclear weapons, not against us, because they can reach us without it, but against you. And to hold America hostage uh, to their crazy demands, that's something we all have to work on to, to stop. For the sake of Israel, our Arab neighbors, America, the world. You met with Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, interesting character. Well, I think he's a tremendous visionary. I was enormously impressed. I, I, I must say, I just mentioned in a speech I gave at the UN something that I heard from him. He said, imagine a world where you have the end of scarcity, something that eluded uh, mankind up to now. And I think he sees both the great blessings of AI, as I do, but he also sees the great perils of AI, as we all should. And I think he's one of the uh, one of the most inspiring um, and stimulating uh, people that I've met uh, in my lifetime. I met quite a few. And I met some of his colleagues, uh, uh, including uh, uh, here in New York and also there in California. So I'm, I think that Israel, Israel is an important AI player. And I think we have to fashion uh, an international approach that will enable us to maximize the blessings of AI while containing the curses of AI. They are legion on both sides of the equation. As we wrap up here, is it fair to say that I leave you hearing that you are optimistic? Yes. Categorically, yes. Mr. Prime Minister, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.